<clears throat> Earlier on this year, at the start of the year in March, we had our vision date, and we gathered round what we felt God was speaking to us at that moment as we looked at Isaiah 54, we looked at the vision that we believe God was giving us to run with and the expectation that he was releasing to be at the core of who we are and to be the core of all that we do. And, and the call that we believe that God gave us was a, a call to grow. Uh, and as we looked at it from Isaiah specifically, we saw that it was a call to, to grow in welcome, to grow in capacity, to grow in vulnerability, in resources, in reach, and in strength. And it really did feel that God was speaking significantly to us, and it was exciting as, as he envisioned us with that call, sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song and shout for joy. He was calling us to take that which he was envisioning us with and allow it to shape our pursuit of him and our interaction with him and our expression of him. And as we have journeyed from that moment, we have seen some of what he has spoken beginning to land within our church gatherings and within our church family. And as we gather around the Word today, it's not so much about coming to Vision Day Mark 2. We're not coming to see, you know, six months or so later, right, what is the fresh vision? What is the new direction? It's not about any of that. We're seeking to build upon what He's already spoken. And if you remember, one of the, the parts of what He spoke was about enlarging the place of the tent and stretching the tent curtains wide. And what we said at that moment was that this was about opening up the tent to its fullest potential, opening up the structure of the tent. And this morning, as we get ready in a moment to share, after I've preached we've broken bread together, the staff team are going to share some updates and things that we're going to be uh, looking to explore. This is really about us beginning to walk the church into its fullest potential. But before we get to that, there's something quite important that God wants to share with us and speak into the life of the church. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 13? Some of it will appear on the screen, but it would be really helpful if you could have that open either on your phone or in your Bible in front of you. Luke 13, <clears throat> and we're going to read from verse 6. It says this, Then Jesus told this parable, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit in it but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. <clears throat> the context of this parable that Jesus is speaking here is actually all about repentance. If you look at what's going on, he's in full flight about repentance talking about repentance. And he almost cites some events that have happened within the life of Israel, almost kind of citing current affairs as proof as to why there is this need for repentance. And the fig tree parable, much like every other parable of Jesus, is this earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a, it's a metaphor that paints or points to something spiritual. And he's pointing here, of course, to the need for repentance and the graciousness of God the Father and his patience towards us. But this morning as we steer into this parable, we don't so much look at it in terms of repentance. We look at it through a slightly different lens. Today, we look specifically at the fruitfulness of the tree. And we allow this parable to speak to us about fruitfulness. Let's unpack it briefly or as brief as I can. 
This parable revolves around a fig tree that is planted in a vineyard. And the significance of the tree at the center of this story being a fig tree isn't lost on us. As we read this, because fig trees aren't necessarily that that we are overly familiar with here in the UK, then we could imagine as we read this that this could really be any tree or plant mentioned here, and we might arrive at the same conclusion. But actually, the fig tree is the tree of choice that Jesus has selected for this. This is the tree that he has chosen to be the center character in the story, and that is significant. Fig trees actually get mentioned from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. In fact, a fig tree is mentioned at the very beginning of the Bible and at the very end of the Bible. If you remember in Genesis, it was uh, fig leaves that were sewed together that they made for coverings for themselves. And then in the book of Revelation, we have this moment where the scroll is handed to the lamb that was slain, who's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he opens the seals, and as he opens each of the seals, he comes to the sixth seal. And as the sixth seal is opened and all these apocalyptic events unfold, one of them is that stars begin to fall from the sky like figs falling from a fig tree in a storm. In fact, some commentators and theologians reckon that the trees that are mentioned in the New Jerusalem, who are always in fruit for food and whose leaves are for healing of the nation, some theologians reckon that these are fig trees. So fig trees are significant. The reference of the fig tree wasn't random. It was specific, and it would have communicated meaning. In fact, it would have communicated meaning to those that heard it. In Israel and Palestine, the fig tree was the most common tree that grew vastly throughout the country. A fig tree typically grew up to 15 feet in height, sometimes up to 20 feet, but its breadth, its span, was out to 25 feet, sometimes out to 30 feet. It was wider than it was taller. In the summer, the foliage of the tree was thicker than most other trees in the region and therefore became a significant source of shade from the sun and cool in the heat. And it was common to see people sitting under their fig tree in the summer for rest and relaxation. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why is the pastor going all Alan Titchmarsh on us? We came for church, not for an episode of the Beech Grove Garden. So why do we need to know this information? And the reason that we call this out is because it helps us to understand the significance of the fig tree, and it helps us to understand some of the references to it. In Israel, amongst the people of Israel, the fig tree actually became a symbol of peace and prosperity. In 1 Kings, there's described as this period of peace under Solomon's reign. And it describes it in this way. It says, During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine, everyone under their own fig tree. So this period of peace is symbolized by everyone sitting under their fig tree. Micah prophesies about the end of time and and the coming of the Lord and, and, and what it's going to look like. And he says, Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid because the Lord Almighty has spoken. So again, we've got this symbol of prosperity. And when we talk about prosperity, we're not talking about cash raining from heaven or materializing in people's bank accounts. What we're talking here is about thriving. What we're talking here is about prospering in terms of living life to the full and growing in a place of safety. And in fact, when we look at the Old Testament, we see that the Israelites were promised this promised land that was to be a place of blessing and and a place of, of purpose. And the description of that land time and time again is a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees. And so 
the fig tree became this precious tree, a cherished tree, because it was that symbol of peace and prosperity, blessing and safety. And our approach to the parable today, we, we take the fig tree and we liken the fig tree to the church of Jesus Christ today. Because the church of Jesus Christ is to be the symbol of God's peace and prosperity, His blessing and His safety. These are to be our hallmarks. These are to be the attributes that we represent in our time and our generation. And in fact, these attributes are to be the experience of everyone who comes and sits under our shade. This is what they should find and this is what they should experience. It's not a stretch for us to see that link. However, in our handling of the passage today, we take that even a step further. Because we use the fig tree in this parable to metaphorically not just speak to the church of Jesus Christ, but to speak to our church specifically, to Glasgow Elam. In fact, we use the fig tree in this parable to speak to where we're at right now. And as we do that, we call out three main points that help us on our journey as a church. And the first thing that we recognize from this passage is that this fig tree is an established tree. Jesus tells us that for three years now, the owner of the tree has been coming to the fig tree looking for fruit, but has found none. And this simple fact of him coming to look for fruit, we often view this almost as it being storytelling rhetoric. For three years, he's come looking for fruit, almost like once upon a time. But in actual fact, this isn't just rhetoric, this is important information. Because what this shows us is that this tree that the, the owner is coming to is not a newly planted tree. It's not a young tree. It's not a seedling. It's not a tree in the early stages of its life. It is an established tree. And we know this because Leviticus 19 teaches us that God established in law that trees and plants, fruit-bearing plants, were to be left for three years to allow them to get rooted and established in the ground. And then on the fourth year, the fruit from that tree was to be brought as an offering to God. It was to be holy to Him. And then on the fifth year, the tree could be harvested and the fruit could be eaten and enjoyed. So the fact that this owner is coming to the tree for three years looking for fruit suggests to us that this tree is not in the early stages of the political process. It's in the latter stages. This fig tree is out with the criteria that is listed in Leviticus 19. Therefore, it is an established tree. However, the other detail that we call out that is important to us is that this tree is planted in a vineyard. As we mentioned earlier, fig trees grew to a penny throughout Israel, and it was not uncommon to find fig trees growing at the side of roads or in pathways or springing up in the midst of hedges. But our fig tree in this parable is found in none of those locations, which means that this fig tree hasn't grown wildly, it's grown intentionally. It hasn't sprung up at the side of a road somewhere as some kind of freak of nature, but it has been planted specifically and it's been planted intentionally. This fig tree has been planted on purpose and this fig tree has been planted with purpose. And as we steward this chapter in the history of Glasgow Elam Church, and as the church goes steaming towards its centenary year in a few years' time, we have to remind ourselves that we have been planted with purpose. Our existence as a community, our existence as a family, is not the result of human decision. It's not the result of freak coincidence. We have been intentionally planted with purpose 
And we've been planted with God, by God. We exist as a people with a specific mission. Our mission is to seek God, share faith, and serve others. And we are thriving and growing where we are because God has planted us with intentionality, and it is His intention that we exist for such a time as this. Amen? Amen. Just checking you're still awake. So it's important then that as we step into this season, that we embrace our purpose, it's important that we recognize the intentionality of God. And here's the reason why. Our city is full of amazing churches. Amen? There are great churches that are doing great things all across this city. In fact, we could narrow that down. Our community, the south side of Glasgow, is filled with great churches doing great things. And we are no better than any other church that is out there. Let that never be said. We are no better than any other church that is following the call on its house the same way as we are seeking to follow the call that is isn't ours. So we should never get caught up in competition. And please, we should never get caught up in people poaching. Please, can we never, ever, ever say to anyone that is rooted in a church, come to ours because our church is better. Our church is no better than any other church that is out there. We bless the churches of our city to thrive. And we don't bless from a place of superiority. We just release blessing in the same way that we hope that it's been released back. Fingers crossed. Are we allowed to do that? I don't know. Anyway. But here's the question. If there are great churches out there all across our city, then why do we exist? And the answer to that question is this. We exist not because of a denomination, and not because of any generation of leaders or pastors or deacons, and not because of any one person's influence or input or contribution. We exist as Glasgow Elam because we are intentionally planted by God. It is His intention that we thrive in His purpose. It's His intention that we exist as a church in this time and age. It's His intention that we increase in our reach and our welcome and our capacity and our strength and our resources and our vulnerability. It's His purpose that sees us gathered as we are right now in 2023, pressing in to see His kingdom come and His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not giving that determines our existence. It is not church constitution that determines our existence. And I'll go out on a limb. It's not even Elam that determines our existence. It's not the ideas of pastors or staff teams or deacons. It's not the influence of those past or the influence of those present. It is the purpose of God that determines our existence as a church. We are planted with intentionality and we are established with purpose and our purpose is to bear fruit. Now, in this parable, the owner planted the fig tree with the intention and the purpose of fruit. We see that because he keeps coming to look for fruit from it. So that's the purpose for which he has planted it. So, therefore, equally, we have been intentionally planted and we have been purposely planted to bear fruit. And that helps to answer a lot of questions. What does God want for Glasgow Elam Church? That we be fruitful. Where is God leading Glasgow Elam Church? Into fruitful seasons. What is his mandate for our house? What is his heart for our house? That we be fruitful for him. Because we have been planted on purpose and with purpose, and our purpose is fruit. However, the problem in this parable is that the fig tree isn't bearing any fruit. It isn't accomplishing the purpose for which it's been established. 
So the owner of the tree, he calls for the, the, man, the man who takes care of the tree, the gardener, if you like, and, and he asks the question, he says, why should this tree use up the soil? In fact, he goes a step further, he says, cut it down. What's the point of being there? It's not producing anything. Just get rid of it and let's move on. Now, that seems quite extreme. It seems quite extreme measures and a bit of an overreaction. Why does he call for these extreme measures? And the reason is because it is known that fig trees actually absorb a large amount of nutrients from the soil. And the fact that the owner of the tree keeps coming to the tree expecting fruit from it suggests that this tree is absorbing the nutrients from the soil because the the tree's not ill. There's nothing to suggest that this tree is unhealthy. There is nothing to suggest that the tree is diseased or is immature or is stinted in any way. The fact that the owner keeps coming and looking for fruit would suggest that on the exterior, the tree looks healthy. On the exterior, it looks like it should be producing fruit. That's why he keeps coming looking for it. It looks like it should be fruitful, but it's not. It has the structure for fruit, but it isn't producing what it's established to achieve. And the point that the owner makes in asking the question, why should this tree use up the soil, is that the established tree is drawing nutrients from the soil to maintain an empty structure. The tree structure is in place. The tree structure looks good. So good, in fact, that its appearance creates the expectation of fruit, but the tree is not delivering what it presents. This fig tree is an established tree. Its structure is maintained, perhaps even growing due to what it draws from the soil, but yet the structure carries no fruit. The tree is a consumer in the vineyard. It consumes resources, but it fails to show the fruit of what it's received. Permit me to be personal for a moment. Since I started here a couple of years ago, a senior pastor, there has been a huge pressure with regard to structures. People have vented and complained. Some have even left over the lack of structures, i.e. programs, events, services, and ministries. It's been said to me that due to a lack of program, it looks like not much is going on in the church. In fact, one person said to me, nothing happens here. Today, we're about to share with you information that's going to turn all of that on its head and change that as we talk about the structures that are coming. But permit me to be bold. Glasgow Elam, our focus should not be on our structure. Our focus should be on our fruit. Because what use is a structure that bears no fruit? We like this fig tree we can have multiple branches. We can have differing programs and differing schedules, varying activities and events. But if they bear no fruit, then they're just entertainment and they're just tick box exercises. And forgive me for being bold again, but I actually don't care if the number of ministries doesn't reflect the size of the church. I'm not interested in having a busy program to reflect or bring the appearance of a busy city church. That mindset is about drawing from the soil to maintain a large structure. Now, Glasgow Elam has a heritage of having a large structure. And that's because Glasgow Elam has seen amazing things happen, amazing things that have happened through different programs and different activities. But we shouldn't just continue to do these things in order to maintain a big structure or 
to maintain the reputation of a big structure. God calls us to produce fruit. We need to shift in mindset a little bit from structure to fruit. There needs to be a shift. We need to set our hearts to to grow in such a way that our focus is on what structures support our fruit and not what structure supports our reputation or what structure supports our ideal or our dreams or what structures support our aspirations and our opinions and our agendas because Glasgow Elam doesn't exist to serve our agendas. It exists to serve his. And this involves quite a significant shift. It's a shift from consumerism to community. It's a shift from drawing from God for big services, big events, big encounters, to drawing closer to Him in order to bear fruit. That's a huge shift. From drawing from God for a big service to actually we want to draw close to Him in order to be fruitful for him. It's a shift from consumer to disciple. And that involves quite a lot of mindset changes. It it involves the change of the mindset of, I come to receive, I come to use my gifts, I come to fulfill my platform, my ministry, I come to get what I need in order to keep going through the week. We actually have to change that round to say, actually, we come to serve him and his purpose. We come to receive from his word that we can grow in knowledge of him and in intimacy with him. We come to receive from him, yes, but we come to receive so that we can go and bear fruit for him and make a difference. God is calling us to shift towards discipleship. And when Jesus talks about fruitfulness, he he tends to link that to discipleship. In John 15, when he talks about bearing fruit, fruit that will last, he speaks about discipleship and he links that fruit to abiding in him and living in connection with him and letting that connection shape who we are and to shape what we do. And he calls that, he calls living in that connection and be shaped by him, he calls it being his disciple. In fact, he takes it further and he calls it being his friend. Discipleship is about abiding in him, about growing in him. It's about displaying his character and nature to the world around us. It's but being transformed into his likeness so that we can be his hands and his feet, his heart and his mouth, his presence in every day and in every way. As we it's not enough just to have a big structure. We have to bear fruit. And this involves us changing the barometer. It involves us shifting the way that we measure our success. As we shouldn't measure success by how big our structure is we should measure success by how fruitful our structure is. We need to begin to assess things differently, to assess ministry differently. We need to assess it by fruitfulness, not size and scope, not frequency and attendance, not range and grandeur, but we need brand new benchmarks. We need to measure by fruit, by transformation, by Christ-likeness, by discipleship. And to bear fruit, we need to embrace change, The owner of the fig tree, he calls for the tree to be removed, and the gardener, he intercedes for the fig tree. In fact, he intercedes not so much for the fig tree, but for change. And you see that when you read it. He says, give me a year, let me dig it, let me fertilize it, and if it produces fruit, fine, but if not, okay. So he's not interceding for the tree, he's interceding for the opportunity to bring change. Change is only brought through intercession. 
It's only through intercession that we can begin to see lasting change. And God is already beginning to strengthen our intercession muscle as a church. And I believe that actually 2024 <clears throat> may hold some really important seasons of intercession for us. I believe that's what is ahead. However, the change that the gardener intercedes for is interesting. Notice that his approach to change isn't to prune back the branches. Notice that his approach to change isn't to cull the dead wood or tie back wayward stems or pare back the excessive leaves in order to make room for fruit. His approach to change actually doesn't involve him touching the structure of the tree at all. His approach to change is to tend to its roots. The transition to fruitfulness for this established tree is not found in altering its structure. It's found in tending to its roots. Fruitfulness is not found in changes to its shape or changes to its size or altering its reach or transforming its dimensions. Change is found by working at its roots, what it is anchored in, how it draws from the soil. Change is found by altering the culture of the fig tree. Now, when we talk about trees and plants and stuff, we tend to use the word agriculture. And agriculture is the term that we use for all things farmy, all things to do with the land and the soil. And we have agricultural shows where we display harvest and crops and produce. Down where we live, we, every year there is the Kilmacombe and Port Glasgow Agricultural Show. And I can understand why agriculture is linked to Kilmacombe, but not so much to the dirty wee port. Anyway, the term agriculture is actually made up of two Latin words. The word agri, which means land, and the word cultura, from which we get culture, which means cultivation or way of life. Specifically, it means the work performed on the land to produce food. The work that the gardener proposes for the fig tree is work that is to be done to the land in order to produce fruits. So what he's talking about here is the culture part, the cultura part. He's cultivating the land, it's culture. He's changing the culture of the tree in order to change the fruitfulness of the tree. And in doing that and saying that that's what he's going to do, what he's calling out here is that the lack of fruit on the tree is not due to its structure, it's due to its culture. And therefore, by transforming the culture of the tree, He's going to unlock its fruitfulness and he's going to realize its purpose. We have to recognize as we step into this season a little bit of what God is doing right now. God's focus at the moment is on transforming the culture of Glasgow Elam Church. Our focus has been on structure. What are we doing? When are we doing it? What will it look like? How soon will it happen? Who is it going to cater for? When in fact, our fruitfulness is not linked to our structure, it's linked to our culture. It's what goes on in the soil that impacts our growth, not what goes on in our shape and in our size. I don't know about you, but as I reflect on the journey over the last year, I can recognize God doing some really amazing things amongst us. And whilst I can see God moving in hearts and lives, there has been moments that alongside that, things have felt a little bit uncomfortable. There's been amazing breakthroughs. There's been significant moments in his presence. There's been change in worship. There's been depths and intercession. We've been into, in some really special places where we're just caught in his presence or, or where suddenly we get lost in worship or where we're really pressing in an in intercession. And they have been real special, precious moments. But then alongside that, there's equally been moments that have been a little bit uneasy. 
a little bit awkward, a little bit heavy even. And that's because God is changing the culture of the church. We've got to embrace that because we can, we can do whatever we want to the structure of the church. We can bring new events. We can bring new programs. We can bring new strategies and ideas. But fruitfulness will only ever come out of the culture that we carry. And God is changing that culture. Changing culture is never pain-free. I tell you. And it's far from comfortable at times. But that's almost called out for us in this passage. Because look at, look at how the gardener proposes that he's going to bring the change. He says he's going to dig around it and he's going to fertilize it. Two things. And we'll bring this to land. He's going to dig it. He's going to dig up the soil around the tree to loosen it up. He's going to loosen up the soil to let the moisture into the roots. And he's digging up the soil. He's going to expose what's going on at the root of the tree. He's going to examine its roots for damage. He's going to remove the blockages and take out the boulders and the stones that might stop the roots from spreading out and drawing what they need in order to produce fruit. And then after digging it, he's going to dung it. Dig it and dung it. The ant and deck of the agricultural world. I'm going to dig it and I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to dig it and dung it. The word fertilize here in the Greek, it means throw manure on it. And that doesn't paint a pretty picture. It's not pretty and it's not pleasant. But it is actually good for the tree and what it needs to thrive. In this season that we are in, God is breaking up the ground around us. He's beginning to expose what's going on at the heart of the soul. He's opening up the roots of the soul and exposing perhaps some of the things that exist there that needs to go. Some of the things that have been picked up on the journey that needs to move on. Some of the blockages, some of the influences that need to change. Some of the things that are preventing growth or have been inhibiting development. He's calling us to let go of some stuff. To let go of things that perhaps served a past season but are of no use now. Structures that supported the fruit of the past season but cannot support the fruit of the new season or even the now season. It's not that those structures were wrong because they supported fruit and they brought fruit. It's just that they're no use now. He's pouring into us with challenge and correction, rebuke and encouragement. Things that can be uncomfortable and feel unpleasant at times but are necessary for us to thrive. And the changing of culture isn't a comfortable process. It's a strange experience because it carries with it different atmospheres that at times you actually feel. It can almost be this tension in the air, this tug of war. And that's because culture change involves digging and dunging. There's the breaking of the ground and the removal of the blockages, but then comes the moisture getting let in and the nutrients flowing. And then there's also the dung flinging stuff that's uncomfortable, but yet it releases life. And there's all these differing experiences that is happening. And already in this one process, we can see the dichotomy of experiences and the tug of war and the tension that we're living in and sensing right now in spiritual and perhaps even in emotional places. Because there's been moments that God has come and he's broken things up and that's been a bit sore, hasn't it? But then there's been moments that he's allowed the moisture to come to the roots and suddenly there's refreshing and renewal and that's wonderful, but they're both part of this culture-changing process 
difficult but yet refreshing. There's been times that he's been rooting some stuff out and then there's been life-giving moments as he's softened the soul and released the flow of heaven and it's been hard and sore but yet wonderful and enthralling at the same time and all of that is part of this digging and dunging. All of this is part of this change of culture. Why has it been the case that one Sunday we live under an open heaven and then the next Sunday we come and we're like, the heavens are brass? Why is it one Sunday we feel like we're going deep into his presence and worship is taking off and we're having a great time and then the next Sunday it's like, it's heavy and it's hard and we've got to work through it. And that's because he's changing culture. He's transforming the soil we're planting and he's unlocking fruitfulness. Fruitfulness flows out of the soil. It is intrinsically linked to culture and not to structure. I just want to say that one more time as we bring this into land. Fruitfulness is intrinsically linked to culture, not to structure. So when God begins to grow something, here's what he does. He changes the culture around what he has established in order to bring fruit from what he is growing. And God is changing the culture of our fig tree. He's changing the culture of Glasgow Elam to bring us into a season of fruitfulness. And here's the thing. He's the owner of this fig tree, not us. We're just the keepers of the fig tree for a period of time. This fig tree that is Glasgow Elam was planted way before us, and this fig tree that is Glasgow Elam will outlive many of us should the Lord tarry. Because this is His church, and it's not our church. It belongs to Him. We just steward it for a generation. We caretake it for a while. So let's make sure that what we pass on to the generation coming after us is that which is thriving and growing and fruitful. Let's do the groundwork right now so that those coming after us and looking back bless the generation before them as those that embrace culture change and who set as their mandate fruitfulness over reputation and culture over structure. Now, as that lands in the church, we take a moment to allow it to land in our own soul. Because what we've outlined is what God is doing amongst us as a church is actually what many of us would describe as our own individual experiences. That feeling of the tug of war, that feeling of the tension, the dichotomy of experiences. And that's because we're the church. And the way that God brings change to the culture of the church is by bringing change to the culture of our souls. It's not like God waves a magic wand suddenly and Overnight, Glasgow Elam is transformed. The way he changes the culture of the church is to change the culture of our own individual souls, which means we need to embrace the shift, the shift from consumerism to fruitfulness, the shift from doing church on a Sunday and then just carrying on Monday to Saturday until Sunday comes back round again, to actually taking a stance where we allow our Sunday gathered experiences to bear fruit to fertilize and fuel our ongoing discipleship journey. This morning, in a few moments, and again, I ask for your patience. The staff team are going to outline plans and strategy going forward. And the heart behind these things is actually to facilitate fruitfulness, not to facilitate reputation or anyone's expectations. And the things that we share, they can be classed as structure, absolutely. But the way that they bring lasting change in our culture is if we embrace the culture shift and we set our sights on fruitfulness 
It's if we change the barometer for measuring success. It's if we begin to view success not just as having a variety of programs and events that form a really busy schedule and show that there's stuff going on, but instead we set as the benchmark health and fruit and transformation and discipleship. The call today is that we surrender wholeheartedly to his call to discipleship. And we begin to view the things that we're about to share not as calendar fillers or as nice-to-haves or as things that a largish city church should be doing. But if we embrace them with all that we've got as that which aids our discipleship and facilitates our fruitfulness. God is transforming culture. And it's only with a transformed culture that we can realize the purpose for which we've been established and we can be fruitful. So Glasgow Elam, let's go all out. Let's surrender ourselves and our church. And let's invite him to shift our culture so that the structure that we have will not just bear fruit, but will bear fruit that will last. Would you stand with me, please?